0: Reporting live from San Francisco, welcome to the Stretch Four Podcast. This is episode number two. I'll be doing these weekly and they will overlap with the newsletter content that you can find at stretch4.substack.com. I'm Matt Parker, who's the founder and CEO of Modern Tax. You can find out more about that at moderntax.io slash contact or just moderntax.io. I host this podcast, the Stretch 4 Podcast Weekly. You can also reach out and find me on Twitter at Matt A. Parker. This actual episode is brought to you by Future. Future is a fitness app which combines personal training with technology to provide you with real-time adjustable workouts that you can get throughout your week. My workouts are typically focused on weight. With cardio at the end of my workout, uh, I typically get five workouts a week. About 80% of the time I do those workouts. My trainer, who's in Florida, his name's Alex, he's always checking my stats, my performance, my heart rate, all those things, and then also working with me on my diet. Uh, right now I'm cutting and trying to get ready to do a hack marathon this year, so I'm ramping up to that. You should check out future.com with a specific access code, which can be found at stretch4.substack.com. Just go to any article, click on the link, and you get three months at 50% discount. And so it's a very, very interesting play on personal training. It's a lot cheaper than a personal trainer that meets with you every day. And it's just as efficient as long as you have the initiative to go into the gym. So get future today, and thank you, Future, for being the sponsor of this podcast and this media channel. Now that that's out of the way, let's jump into the show. So the Stretch4 Podcast exists to delve into a lot of the discovery of what happens in the life of a founder. Stretch for Insights is actually the title of our newsletter, and really that's what it's about. I try to provide the best insights I'm getting from living in San Francisco, right in the middle of Silicon Valley. The ups and downs, I've been here through them all in the past six years, and a lot of this is just information that typically doesn't come through traditional channels like TechCrunch and the information. It's more day-to-day life, being a founder, what it takes and what it does not take to be successful. And so from time to time, what we'll do is I'll go through a weekly exploration of all the things I'm learning from the inside the minds of founders and operators and high performance people here in Silicon Valley. I'll also delve into the lifestyle, fitness, the daily habits, things like diet, me most recently, obviously I'm a parent now, if you've heard any of the content I create here, you know, I'm a proud father. And that changes the way you approach running your company, managing people, managing teams. It gives you a much more empathetic perspective on those things, but you still got to perform highly. So you really have to optimize your life when you become a parent. So we'll talk about those things, as well as personal finance philosophies. So we talk to founders that are really in the trenches, building their first, second, sometimes third companies. So some have made money, some have Made a lot of money. Some have made a little money. Some have made no money. But having a perspective on personal finance really informs the way you run your company and how you build your business, and just in general, you know how you get up every morning for the job of being a venture back founder and re- running a company. You have to face very, very strong challenges on a day-to-day basis. So again, make sure you subscribe to. Stretch4.substack.com, where all the content is reduced and produced for free, as long as you subscribe there. And if you are a current subscriber and you listen to our first episode, thank you. I think we're, you know, doing pretty well for a first podcast that has no marketing. So thank you for listening. Feedback is always welcome. I could be reached at at stretch 4co So definitely thank everyone for listening to that first episode. Uh, If you didn't listen to that first episode, go listen to it. I interviewed the founder of Gated.com, which is building the defense platform for your email inbox. So now that the intros and discussions are out of the way, let's get started with the show. This week, I want to take a deeper dive into some research I've been doing around accelerators, and particularly this week, focusing on the Sequoia Arc Accelerator, which is a new program launched by Sequoia Capital last year. Got some interesting interviews coming up with some founders that have participated in that, uh, that can speak to it, and some stats that we did delve into this week with just learning about what that program is all about. And also, I have a child care deep dive. There was a tweet that went out this week that came across my my timeline that was pretty interesting. I shared it on my Instagram, got some feedback from some actually family and people really, really sharing some things around childcare and how bad it is for productive people. So we'll do a little bit of a parenting deep dive, which I'll utilize some of the content that me and my wife created and put out on this, the newsletter a few weeks ago. Uh, and then lastly, we'll end with an interview. This week on the interview, I have a friend of mine, latteram fishinoni latteram Vishinoni. and he corrects me in the interview because i pronounced his last name wrong and i apologize i'm not that great with words i'm from the south and i'm still learning how to speak properly (laughs) just being honest but latteram was a very very gracious guest Uh, i've known latteram over almost six years now he's on his second company his first company has raised over $50 million in venture capital. His second company, which he's participating in now, he's in the current YC Accelerator batch. So there's some accelerator insights that are given there on YC, which I think is still the best accelerator out there. If you're a founder, you don't want to do these accelerators if they're not going to really add value to your company. And Ram is doing yc and he speaks very highly of it and he's a high performer himself so that interesting interview is at the tail end of the podcast so thank everyone for listening hope you guys enjoy the show let's get started so starting off today's show want to talk about a touchy subject, which I spoke a bit about briefly on last week's edition, which is the topic of startup accelerators. And timely enough, Sequoia, which is generally known as the top venture capital firm in the world, most likely, definitely here in Silicon Valley, they're known to be the best, right? If you get money from Sequoia, there's a very high likelihood that your company will continue to get money from other firms as well as Sequoia if they continue to back you. They back all the top companies in Silicon Valley over the past, you know, 20 to 30 years for the most part. I mean, there's obviously some that they might have missed, but, you know, generally Sequoia is top line capital, smart money. Then if you're a founder and you're raising venture capital, generally you want to get money from top tier firms. And I would say that Sequoia is top tier firm. You know, they've backed a lot of companies. I mean, Figma is top of their website, which just recently sold Adobe for $20 billion. They've backed Zoom, which we all know the story of Zoom's radical rise to the top of IPO charts. DoorDash, Bank, just a, a long line of companies that just they've been killing it for quite some time. Shout out to Fred Valentine, who started it way back in the 70s. So what's unique about Sequoia is they have been typically a early stage, growth stage fund. And last year they announced a new program called ARC. And ARC is generally designed as an accelerator. And if you also know about accelerators, you know why Combinator is classically known as the most well Put together accelerator started by Paul Graham and I think it was 2005. This went on to back over 4,000 companies I think over or 4,000 founders that have been funded by them over the course of the past 15, or 17 years. Companies like Airbnb, companies like Dropbox have all been funded by Y Combinator. And what is unique with Sequoia is Sequoia also funded Airbnb, some of these companies. But generally, they let YC do the early, early stage stuff, identifying teams, giving them or investing, you know, it used to be $125,000. Now, it is half a million into these companies. And that was essentially how it worked up until last year. YC was known as early company. They get 6 to 7% of equity. They give you the network. They help you build your first product. They help you get to market. And then Sequoia picks the top YC companies. I believe Sequoia was at one point one of the largest LPs into YC. And LP means limited partner, which means Sequoia was giving the money, investing the money into Y Combinator that Y Combinator would then go parse out and invest in founders. So when ARC came along, it was generally seen as a disruptor to Y Combinator. It's this What's happening in Silicon Valley, especially now, as the markets have been have, have started to contract and equity value has went down, and the assets of these startups, the underlying assets, have been you know marked down quite significantly in the past six months, six to twelve months. Companies like Sequoia or investment funds like Sequoia have decided that hey, we want to invest earlier because we want to get more equity and we want our equity to have higher value. We're getting in too late. Right. After a company comes out of YC, it's too late because now the valuations have been pushed up. We get less equity. We get less ownership. So let's design a program to identify our own companies that we want to invest in early in the process. Let's fund them and let's give them content. Let's give them education. Let's give them maybe a little bit more money. Let's make the money that we do give them more negotiable because YC has been very well known for taking a certain percentage no matter what, right? They have had some instances where they've been able to negotiate, but for the most part YC is giving you, you know, that amount of money for a fixed percentage of your company no matter what, no matter where you are in the scale, where Sequoia looks at it more on a case by case basis. They launched this program in 2022 in Europe, which is an interesting part of the research I've done, which is still working. I'm still working through it. It's about 50 founders that have participated in the program so far, so still a small sample size, but you are start starting to tell some of the same tropes that you see within Silicon Valley of the type of founders that they're looking for. They're probably getting a large amount of applications like YC, which is why I identify Sequoia Arc and the definitive second best option of an accelerator right now, just for the sheer fact of if you get in, you've made it through a lot of noise to get in because they're getting a probably a large amount of applications with Sequoia, though, playing this game and investing in pre-seed and seed states companies, it does create a bit of a tandem. Like I don't know if there's are still LPs in YC, but I would assume not because they're investing a lot of money. They want to run three cohorts this year. And so if they've ran two cohorts so far with 50 companies, that's about 25 or so founders or companies across each cohort. So, you know, say they do that three times in the U.S., they're investing up to a million dollars in each company. So if you want to go invest in, say, 25 companies every three, every quarter or, you know, three times a year, that's 75 companies. It's $75 million right there off the gate. So it's quite a big commitment for them because you're also bringing on these companies and you're helping them through the process. So ARC is what I would say a new way to look at venture capital. It's ran by Jessica Lee and it's very interesting because Sequoia is really good at content. I mean, from content about writing a, a, a kind of heroic piece on Sam Bankman Fried leading up to his ultimate demise to some of the other content that they produce. Sequoia does do a good job of it. So it's a seven-week program. They take you – they have a part called the Outliers Program where you immerse yourself in the mindset of how people think, how it works, which I tell people a lot. Like Silicon Valley is a unique place for anybody and specifically for people who are outside of Silicon Valley, right? It's so nuanced. It's so unique. It's so, like, out there with, like, the thoughts and the way people think about these things, right? Sequoia is like introducing you to that in this program. The second week and the first part is they're bringing you out here to the Bay Area. So for all the people that it says, you could be anywhere in the world and you could start a company wherever you are. Yes, you can, but they're still bringing people in person to do the first part of this program. The second is the customer understanding, you know, who are you building for? You know, understanding customer obsession. A lot of the probably same principles you're getting in a YC Uh, as well. The third week is about product. So how do you build great products? Learn how to set forward a product mission that transforms your customers and lives and establishes the right metrics, strategy, tactics to build a winning product with winning speed. The fourth part is sales and marketing. So how are you different, not merely better? Learn how to position your product to break through the noise and the fundamentals of brand sales and marketing. This is also an in-person part of of the program. And then culture is week five. How do you work? Understand how culture is set and how to leverage it and to create an operating advantage. Week six is the business. How do you create enduring value? Learn financial and market fundamentals and how valuations are get determined from start to scale. And week seven is Bend the Arc. How will you be a magnet? Learn how to inspire others to your vision. Share your final presentation with a community of partners, founders, community, and talent ready to help. So essentially their demo day, which is what it's called in the Worsley NYC. So this new program is... You know, something I'm talking about, because I would say that, you know, between YC and this new program, these are the two top accelerator programs out there. They're going to be the most selective. They're going to give you probably the most money with the least amount of strings attached. You're going to get the big network. You're going to get the community. You're going to get all those things. And so what I did was I actually had someone help me gather all the names of these people that are, you know, have been funded by Sequoia's Arc Program. Uh, so 50 people came across this list. Companies are ranging from all types of industry. What's unique is they started in Europe. And so one of the things that, you know, obviously will come up with these accelerators is this notion that, you know, Silicon Valley is, is not a diverse place. And that's one of the things that sticks out to you right away with this program, right? It's like Sequoia, right? It's like it, it really informs a lot about the types of people that are going to get funded, And and when you think about it, you know, as a black person in Silicon Valley, you realize that the same types of people are going to continually get funded, right? Diversity in Silicon Valley has nothing to do with race and ethnicity, right? They don't think about it like that. It's not even really on their radar, you know, and I think we we can talk about it in different ways, but like for them, diversity is not at all revolved around that. Because if you look at the list of founders, it's generally white people or, you know, Caucasian people for the most part. Now, they may be Caucasian people from Europe, which is a bit different than, you know, U.S.-based founders, but there's still a good batch of people from the typical places, right? It's very, very male, right? From looking at the page, you know, I see maybe... One, you know, so 50 people, one, two, three, four, five, six, just going down the list, seven, eight, eight women of 50. So take that for what it is, 16% women participation. Not bad, and they would probably put that as a metric that's good. If you look at the demographic of women, primarily white and Asian women, which is generally the type of women that are getting funded in Silicon Valley. We don't see any women of color, black women or Latino women. When it comes to ethnicity in general, I see one individual of color, Boris Tain, who is based in Europe, and that's generally it. Mostly everyone else is white, Asian. I do see some Indian folks there. But, you know, not to make this a race thing, but I think I, I think it is interesting that you would choose Europe as your first market, which you obviously are going to skew to a certain demographic. And then I would say as you expand your program, the first bit of American folks have a lot of the same pedigrees and backgrounds you would see in a traditional startup ecosystem. So I think as you look at what's happening, as it's getting harder and harder to raise money, harder and harder to kind of get into these networks. Some of these backgrounds and pedigrees matter even more now than they have, right? And it's just, it's just more, it's just easier if you're a Caucasian person and you're white and you live in Silicon Valley and you go to the right school or you worked at the right previous company. You're just going to be that much more susceptible to get accepted to these programs and breakthrough. And that is generally the result. And we could have a lot of conversations about how that's going to change. If that's going to change, what are the things that need to happen? But if the top venture fund in the valley is starting a new accelerator program from the ground up and there's not even on their radar about this, you kind of know what's happening, right? Like you kind of know that it's just not a priority for A certain group of people to to get access to these types of programs, which, you know, these are generally types of programs that will set you on the right path as a founder. You know, they're going to invest a million dollars in your company. You're going to get to go through all these programs. You're going to get all the help. You're going to have this network. It's just not available to a, a general larger and larger swath of people who are starting companies. And that's not great. It's not a fortunate thing it's hard to just get into some of these institutions that they want you to get into these programs. I mean, they probably don't even, you know, they, it's, it's very difficult to break in. And all I could say is sometimes you just have to be an outsider and try to access these things differently. Right. For me, it's interviewing a lot of the founders, you know, I'm going to be bringing on some of these folks just to, just to walk through how you even get into these programs. And a lot of those interviews I'm predicting will just, Show It's really high pedigree. It's really about where you went to school, who you know, and things of that nature. It's a very network driven game, which is the venture capital space. But we do say, you know, because Akoya is innovating and changing their model, maybe this will become something that they open up for more people, but or they are more selective in diversity around the, the kind of core meaning of diversity, which is like people of color, people from diverse backgrounds, from urban backgrounds. But on the outside looking in, most likely not. Uh, so that is a look into Sequoia's new ARC accelerator program, which I rank as the number two accelerator program in the current gamut of accelerators. Moving on to another uh, interesting dynamic that I wanted to talk about this week is that of child care right why am i talking about child care because me and my wife it's the second largest expense for us beyond our core living expenses here in san francisco and steve Schaffman, who's a coach of mostly founders probably some venture capitalist he lives in new york he is very. Uh, outspoken about a lot of family things that are happening. And a reason I think it's really important for me is obviously I'm a recent father. You know, my son will be one here in a, in a couple, you know, a couple of months now and childcare is super expensive. But one of the thing is like things that's like important about childcare is especially as a founder and what I do on a day-to-day living is like you have to block off time to do your work and, you know, be able to do what you need to do. And, you know, my son particularly came five weeks early and I was very much unprepared. I don't think you could ever really be prepared to have a kid, but I would say on a scale of one to 10, I was probably on a, that was a four because I didn't have a bag packed. I was in the middle of fundraising. I was just like all over the place. And then when his water broke and we're like, you know, we're at the hospital and Kane is here. And so I would say now almost 11 months later, Childcare is critically important to just even having a chance of being productive and getting things done with two parents that are working. And in a city like San Francisco, it's very difficult for one parent to work unless you have like a $10 million windfall or an exit, which is what a lot of people move here to do. So there's, you know, San Francisco living, you know, tell people it's it's really the haves and have nots in in many spaces, specifically in the venture capital startup ecosystem right, if you're a founder and, and, you know, your career is built on raising venture capital and trying to create, you know, venture style exits, basically trying to help make venture capitalists 10 to 100x their money, there is a lot of time that has to be invested. in. you know, in the interview, we'll talk about that with my, my buddy Ram, who does not have kids, but he's very clear that there really is no work-life balance in this startup game. And I say that to say, you know, San Francisco is a city of that. Many people here are building, like right now, a lot of layoffs are happening at the top of market where, you know, your Googles, your Facebooks, your Apples. I don't think Apple's made layoffs, but Google, Facebook, you know, name your top company, Salesforce, where generally the workload is a lot lighter. Right. I would say if you work at one of those companies. You're not expected to work 12, 16 hour days. You may have seasonality to when you work a lot, but generally you have a lot of time off. You have great benefits, which I'm glad my wife works at one of those companies have great benefits and the compensation has been great. Now a lot of those companies are just pulling back, but you know, you got to think they made so much, you know, over hiring happen during the pandemic that right now it's just pulling back to the base. But when you think about child care, when you're a founder, and you're in the trenches and you're building and you're, you know, working 10, 12, 16 hour days, five, six, seven days a week. It becomes really important to have it and have some semblance of understanding that, Hey, I know that between this time and this time, I have time to get work done, right? I'm recording this podcast right now. My son is with his nanny, right? And like, I'm able to do this and it's able to have a clear head and come and do this. Then I got to go follow up on some work stuff for modern tax after this. Then I got a couple more calls. Then I go home to my son. So these things are really taken for granted, you know, not at the level of, you know, I can only speak to my experience, but this post from Steve really hit home. I reposted it on my Instagram and I got a lot of responses from it because it doesn't just affect like the people that have the money to pay for nannies and stuff and like we're by no means rich but we're blessed to be able to afford our nanny share and steve made this post and so i'll just read it verbatim we're without child care this week i can't think of a bigger blocker of productivity and advancement for families and workers if you believe in equality then you have to believe in better child care benefits from employers and the government and those are two interesting things to take a point of because I don't even think of like like as a founder like my employer you know like as a startup founder at the the stage that I'm at we don't have these like lavish benefits right we don't we don't have the balance and we don't have anybody on our team besides myself that works that has children so it's not really I don't put it on the employer the government yeah and no right like I don't expect me as a founder of a Silicon Valley venture back company for the government to be paying for my child care. But where I do expect more is from the venture capital community. It's a very, very interesting world that you live in, right? Because to produce venture capital-type outcomes, you do have to work a lot longer and more than the average person. You're expected to. It's just a part of the job. You can't be successful in this game without working long hours, Wearing many hats, traveling. I mean, how many conferences? I mean, I am going. I go to a lot of conferences, and I don't even get a lot of value. And there's still people that go to more conferences than me, and they're literally at a conference every week. And a part of it is because, you know, in the many industries, which I go to these conferences, because it is very important to meet these people in per- person that you're trying to sell to or you're trying to partner with, or you're trying to raise money from. It's very, very critical. And yes, I live in San Francisco. Strategically, it's the best place to be to meet venture capitalists, but it's not to meet customers for modern tax all the time, right? Even though we have some customers here, our bigger customers are in the Midwest. They're on the East Coast. They're all across the country. And I need to go fly to be with them at times. And I have a son. Childcare happens. My wife is actually, you know, she works in global event marketing. And so she has to travel for her company for word shows. And, you know, child care is super critical. And then we have our own life. Right. Like, when do we spend time together? So I do think, you know, my I would add to that tweet, I would say, you know, if you're a founder and you're a parent, or you're planning to be a parent, this is something you need to think about. And if you're a venture capitalist or you're a VC, I think this is a unique advantage you could provide to founders. Because I know a lot of founders that are having children or have children, childcare is a very complicated thing. And it's not easy to find good childcare. It's not easy to afford it. It's not easy to maintain it. And it's a very, very important factor to your life because, as he mentioned, it can be a big blocker to productivity and advancement if you don't have this thing lined up. And we're not perfect with it, but we've, we we wonderfully blessed with a great nanny that we have at least for the first year. But then we have to evaluate other things. And these are all things that can add stress. Uh, you know, I remember, like, the day that, you know, Whitney went into labor. Like, I had no, you know, modern tax was like It probably would not pass the bus test, which is what engineers use for if you got hit by a bus, would your company still exist? And we were, quote unquote, existing, but it was not a very, very good time. And we're still recovering from it. And it's something that you have to think about when building companies is, you know, you have to plan for these things. So the take for real and the the reason it's a deep dive is, I would love for parents or people that are running companies that have parents to reach out to me to talk to me about this. I want to continue to delve into this. I think it's a very big missing link to I think companies, big companies here in Silicon Valley do a really good job with child care. I think early stage companies, startup formation type programming is very bad. Right. It's almost non-existent. Never once have any of my investors, which I do not expect them to mention that. You know, like, I think I put it in my investor update and people were like, congratulations. How were your, you know, quarter three? Well, how was your revenue? Right. So like, it's not even on the radar of most early stage venture capitalists. And I think it could create a unique advantage having that conversation with founders helping founders when they do have these situations come in into play and just being a a support system to understand the pains of it and how stressful it can be there are great choices to make as a founder right i again you know me and my wife we choose to live in san francisco because of proximity to a lot of the things obviously she you know is now remote but you know all of her friends are here her family's in the east bay She's never lived anywhere outside of California for me. And I moved here to raise money, be a venture back founder. uh, That's going, you know, it's been going well for five years. It has its ups and downs, but still proximity is really important because every venture capitalist that I would ever want to work with on a deal is right here. And there's still a large amount of early stage startups that are being built here, which are, you know, serving as great guests of this podcast you know i get invited you know right now in san francisco there's probably like 5 to 10 events a night just in you know the tech venture capital bubble <laughs> so there's a lot of things that are happening there's a lot of new young people moving here in their 20s to build things so there's a lot of reasons to live here right again i don't have the pedigree of stanford as like as mentioned like all the big credentials if you check off the list so you know if i had a if i had an mba from stanford you know maybe i can go live in you know, wherever. But again, many people that have MBAs in Stanford still live here in the Bay Area, and they already have that. So there's all these different things that are pulling us or keeping us here for for career success. But childcare is a pain, because again, you know, you you, you need to update your living expenses, and you know, how much you can afford for rent, all these are things that you come into question when you have a kid, and it adds more challenges. And this happens up and down the scale. Again, like my cousin reached out to me, She's not working in Silicon Valley, but it's a pain point for her too, right? It's like, you know, COVID really did change a lot of things. And I grew up in a rural country, small town. Like I didn't even think about like my great grandmother was pretty much watching me after school until my mom got home and really raising me because my mom, you know, dropped me off at school or I got dropped off at school by a friend, friend's dad, or I caught the bus. And then by the time I got home, my mom wasn't home yet, but my great-grandmother, who, you know, was living with us, was actually feeding me and taking care of me, you know, until my mom got home, right? And then we start the day all over again. Living in the city benefits, right? There are benefits. You know, we're a 15-minute walk or maybe even a 10-minute walk from our nanny share uh, family, right? So, like, we're very close in proximity, you know, we're very close in proximity establishing a network of other families things like that urban sitter and all these types of apps which can be you know they can be difficult but they are available right like we're you know we're getting child care to watch the niners game on sunday right like it you know this this is going to come out on monday but you know just doing that you can't really watch the niners game with 11 month and so those are all things you have to think about when you make these decisions around child care so to wrap it to recap it there are pretty much four things I've learned through my child care experience as a founder. And so, or, you know, four of the things, and I want to talk about some of the things that, the really deeper things that we learned uh, in the first 10, 10 months. But the four things is I have to start preparing way earlier than I think, right? My days, like this 5 a.m. club thing, people knock it, but like when you have a kid, my kid wakes up anywhere between 4.30 and 5.30 every morning. Me and my wife delegate our responsibilities to get up, you know, typically it means just to get him fed or soothe him so he can go back to sleep for an hour, another two hours. So I had to start my days earlier. I haven't done well on starting and you know, ending my days earlier because I'm like up till 10, just like hanging out. Cause you, you know, you're looking for that quiet time. You're checking email. I got to find a better shutdown time because I know my get up time is 5 a.m. And I would say in retrospect, if I am to do this again and have another child, Leading up to that time, I know that I want to work longer hours ahead of having a kid. Right now, it'll be a little difficult because I already have one. But if you're going to be a first-time parent, start preparing yourself for that by working longer hours ahead of when your your child comes. You're going to be much better off in a better place. It's already an industry where if you're a founder, you should be working with a lot of sense of urgency. You, know, you should have a high sense of urgency for what you're trying to get done. If you're expecting a kid, you got to do it even more because you're just going to have to be away for a couple months, a couple weeks at least to to really just deal with it. So, prepare yourself, build your house and 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 do that because for me it was like I was not checked in as much as I wish I was before Kane came into the world. Also, if you're a founder, let people know what's going on ahead of time. Make sure all your investors all your key customers, if you're working on deals and handling deals and customer relationships, your team. Make sure everybody knows what's going on. If you're expecting a child, let them know as soon as it's available or as soon as you can, you know, kind of start the preparation. I think you know, three to six months is a good enough buffer, but let people know because they're, you know, it's going to come on you like, like the Bible says, a thief in the night, right? That's exactly what. It is. It's also a young thug song, honestly, but a thief in the night it's coming and you're you know you're not going to be able to really prepare for it like you want to so make sure everybody in your your community your network that it works with you closely knows because you're going to be out of mind out of sight for a bit of time the other part for me which is more of a relational thing but i think as a man it is it is okay to not to be super emotional about having kids right It's very hard to deal with the emotions that you're going to go through the same way, say, your wife is going to go through them, right? Your wife is actually carrying your child and has all other types of stuff going on. You as a man, you're really observing and you're trying to be as helpful as possible. But even now, right, like when my son is in his bag or so to speak, when he's, you know, when he's crying or when he's cranky. He wants his mom. There's not a lot that I can do for him in that moment. There's a lot I can do for my wife. I can help out. I can take out the trash. I can make dinner. I can like take care of all the things that need to be taken care of around the house. But as an individual, there's not as much I can contribute. And it's okay to, to, to understand that and not be as emotional as maybe your wife is about it. And this is again coming from a male's mindset. A woman may think made way differently about these things. If you are a man, and you want a good resource on having kids or after you've had kids, I do really like Michael Lewis's book that's, that talks about this stuff because it's very different from most Michael Lewis books, which are mostly on like investing. I mean, I'm sure he's writing this new book on FTX. But his book on fatherhood was really good for me. It's called An Accidental Guide to Fatherhood. And it really is a great book. Just as a first-time father, like thinking about it, you get so psyched out. And it's just, like, there's going to be days where you're, like, frustrated, you're mad, you're angry, and nobody gives a fuck, honestly. Like, if you're a dad, like, just know nobody cares. That's the one thing you learn as a founder and a new father, all this stuff being thrown at you. You have to have this aptitude that really nobody cares about your problems. And you you have to, like, psych yourself out. You have to give yourself grace, You know, like maybe you you start a podcast and talk about it. (laughs) Yeah. But like you have to have some kind of like understanding that like your experience is unique, but nobody really cares. And that's one of the things I've learned as a father is you have to really have that in your mindset. It's kind of dormant. It's morbid in a way, but it it can help you understand like there's no playbook for this. Right. There's nothing perfect. No one's coming to your side. You got to build that community if you want to. You got to go out and reach out to other dads and and understand that. But like, you got to know in the trenches, it's tough. And so the other 10 things I'd run through, me and my wife did a partner piece of content called 10 Things We Learned About Parenthood. And, you know, my top 10 relating back to this were, hey, you should pay for childcare. It's worth it. There is no equality when it comes to parenting, kind of hints that like you are different than your wife. The woman and man are very different in this relationship as it becomes a parent, as you go through the childbirth, as you go through the lead up. There's a really a different experience, and you have to understand that. Your emotions aren't as important as your wives. They are, but like they're in a different way. Traveling, which can become expensive when you have kids. I would say if you're having a kid and you plan to travel within the first two years where the kid can fly for free, I would buy that extra ticket. You want that extra space. You want the child to have his own space, especially if you're taking a six-hour flight across the East Coast, like I generally do because I'm from the East Coast. It is quite expensive, at least, again, in my experience here in the Bay Area, to have children, but you have to think about it as an investment. I'm excited about an interview I'm going to do with a couple who have done very well and have two kids and really think... You know, at least from my perspective, think very smart about this, that kids are high cost, but it is an investment specifically when you're a parent and you live in a place like San Francisco, which if you are, you know, living in a certain area and going, your kids are going to certain schools, you're going to be acclimated to certain people. Again, talking about what we were talking about with Sequoia network can really matter. And so slicing it in that way can really uh, benefit you. Number five is starting a 529 savings account. You know, we started that right out of the gate. We started out with a very high deduction, and then we started having to pay for childcare. And we're like, okay, let's take that down a notch, but at least we started it, so we built a big uh, upfront buffer with that. And I think that's going to pay dividends. I mean, who knows where Kane's going to go to college? Quite frankly, I mean, it's 17 years away. But having six figures in the bank ready for it is is a lot better than not. Right. I got a full basketball scholarship to go to James Madison to play. Hopefully he gets a full scholarship somewhere, but it'll be great to have that money in that buffer because I didn't have that when I went to college. And it makes a big difference. Again, I like to read a lot of books. I'm actually going to recap all the books that I read in January in my first episode in February. But reading books is great, and there's a lot of great resources. Cripsheet is one I think is an essential read. Again, the Michael Lewis book was really good for me, for a father. But you can read a lot of books. There's nothing like learning on the job as a parent, and you start to pick up things, and you start to, you know, there's specific things you want to read about. And you want to understand as your child goes through those stages. One thing that I didn't do that I wish I did do was read a bit more about communication, because in the first year, that's a very, very interesting thing where you can really be aggressive on learning how your child communicates, because even though they don't talk or speak fluent words, communication is a very big and important part of that. Number seven, you don't have to buy expensive clothes for your kids. Like, I, 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 I kind of knew that, but, like, I was thinking, like, oh, yeah, I want to buy him some nice clothes. You don't really need to do that. Just buy affordable, cheap, whatever stuff because you're going to grow at it so fast. And people are going to give you stuff. You know, we were fortunate to get hand-me-downs that we've even still used to this day, which are very gracious. So thanks, to Marissa, who's a, a subscriber to this newsletter. and know she listens to this podcast, but, you know, Kane has been able to get a lot of his clothes from, 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 from her and her family's hand-me-downs. Preparing food, prepare ahead of time. That's a big stressor for me because I don't like to cook, and when I'm alone with Kane, I need to be able to prepare him food. So being proactive, having at least list different recipes, different things that I can do is, is very helpful for me. Number nine, sleep train as much as you possibly can early, and that's really, really important. We've, we're we still paying the cost. Talking about being a founder, waking up at all types of night, you got to get up and work. It's a grind. So I would say sleep training is super important. And last, realize that early on reading to your child can be frustrating. They may not embrace it as well as you want them to, but it's, it is repetitive. It is something that like Kane, even now when I try to read to him, he's much more receptive. And I think he's even becoming more receptive over time. So those are my 10. Didn't mean to beat you up too much, but I thought that was an interesting tweet from Steve he's been tweeting a lot of things about parenthood because these things just don't get talked about in this kind of venture capital founder hustle porn culture and you know i wanted to talk about it here on the podcast so that is the deep dive for the week transitioning to the last part of this episode so i've started the new founder focus interview series where i primarily am interviewing founders early stage founders. Some of these founders have started one, two companies. Some of them, like if you listen to the one last week, Andy Mowat, who's been a Silicon Valley veteran for the past 20 years, starting his first company in the past two with Gated.com. So check that out. Uh, I'm going to try to focus here in the next few weeks on having founders who are either currently going through Accelerator or recently have went through one. So today's guest is a friend who has seen the good and bad side of his accelerators. He even mentions it in an interview. His first time he had applied for YC multiple times, got rejected each. And he actually participated in five hundred startups for his first startup, which is now one of the higher performing startups in this five hundred accelerate or five hundred startups program historically. He raised over $50 million for that company, and now he's participating in the YC's new current batch, YC 2023 Winter 2023, which has the demo day in April, and he's participating in it with a new company. So that is coming up next on the Stretch 4 Podcast. This is Matt Parker. Thank you for listening. Hope you enjoy my conversation with Ram. Today, I got a good friend, Laderang Vishani is with me. He has been a friend of mine for over five years. We met through a previous colleague of mine and a friend of his. And actually, I think we talk more now than that actual person. That's just how Silicon Valley works. And as I was transitioning into building modern tax, what is now modern tax, I gained some experience as a tax preparer. And I actually helped, I think I helped Ram fill out his first tax return in the U.S. back in the day. Since then, things have changed. Ram is now making enough to afford his own personal accountant and more. His first company, Acquire.io, customer service platform, has gone on to raise over $40 million in equity, and now he's back at it with his next startup, Middleware, where he's going through the current YC winter 2023 batch. Ram, thank you so much for coming on the Stretch Forward podcast, uh, and welcome to the show.
1: Matt, always excited to have you, excited to talk to you, and thank you for having me. And uh, yeah, there was a few things I want to correct it in acquired. I raised like 57 million, it's now 40 million, so that's one. And then my last name is Ishnoi. I'm sorry, I uh, don't want to give you a hard time uh, to pronounce correctly, but love to have you.
0: All good, all good. And, and we didn't get a chance to run through names before, so my apologies, Rand. So Ram, on this podcast, we we try to focus on two areas, obviously the product, company building, being an entrepreneur, raising money, that's all important. But to be able to do that successfully time and time again, you're now a two-time founder. We do wanna talk a little bit about lifestyle. How do you prepare your mind? How do you prepare your body to go through the stress of being a founder, dealing with being told no constantly, raising money, the high stress of running teams? So the first part that we wanna get into is sleep. How much do you sleep? Is it a big thing for you? And how do you see that as you now have done your second company, getting enough rest? How important is it to you? How impactful it is it to how well you perform?
1: I'm like, sleep is really important when, when we want to be productive. But for me, six hours sleep is pretty decent. Before there was a time I was sleeping nine to 10 hours. And then I trained myself or trained my body in such a way where six hours sleep is, could be enough for me. So I yeah, I'm pretty fine with six hours sleep. And I don't do more than six hours sleep. And sometimes I catch up the sleep on weekend, where I sleep like maybe eight, nine hours on weekend, but normally five, six hour a day on weekdays, good enough. Nice. Nice. And is there a particular time you wake
0: up each morning? I know at one point you were running international team and you're still running international team of engineers. You were working kind of this alternative schedule. How does that look for you today? Is it do you go to bed at a certain time every night or do you have alternative hours or how does that work?
1: Yeah, actually, that's very interesting, actually. I'm still doing it. So I normally sleep like 3 or 4 a.m. in the morning. And then uh, I wake up like 9 or 10 a.m. The, the Pacific time. And that's the the schedule I'm doing from last like almost seven years being in U.S. because uh, we have uh, multiple teams, uh, like multiple locations, and then need to collaborate with them, talk to them. So that is my day times where I just talk to the team and do that. And then the U.S. time, it's just morally about like customer meetings and a bunch of other things. That's what's normally I, I do in the U.S. time. Yeah.
0: Got you. Got you. And so with your sleep, with your time schedule, how does that relate to activity? Are you a physically active person? I know we live in San Francisco. There's tons of mountains. There's tons of trails. There's tons of biking. Are you specifically interested or do any specific type of fit, fitness or personal training or outdoor stuff? Or do you just work and grind all day?
1: Oh, no, I know I I can't sustain if I just work and grind every day and not do any physical activities. Uh, probably I'm gonna I uh, <laughs> I can't sustain that part So yeah, I I normally go gym three times a week. I have a personal trainer, and then on weekend I love to go for a walk or hike. Normally like four or five hours, and I want to shut my brain off and I want to focus something else on that hike, and I don't want to talk to anyone. And uh, that's what normally I do. Maybe I just walk on different directions and sometimes I walk in a city with just no reason and just keep walking for three, four hours. And um, so that's what I do quite a bit um, in, in the weekend. But on weekday, I have a fixed schedule for my workout and I normally don't miss it, but it just depends on the, the day or time or something.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. So you stay pretty active. And Ron, I know you've introduced me to I think maybe the time you we ate together and we got Indian food. That was my first real time like eating really good Indian food. So that brings me to my next question. What do you describe or how do you describe your diet or nutrition regimen? Are you trying to eat healthy food? Are you I know the Indian food is really good. The Nam is really good and and all that. But I know you probably have a, a more strict diet than maybe the average person, or maybe you don't. What, how do you think about diet and nutrition and how does it affect your day-to-day with, with running a company and staying on top of things?
1: I'm like, Indian food is, we, we, we don't count as like most healthiest food. There are a lot of carbs, a lot of butter, a lot of like those things. And yeah, I love Indian food, but I'm not a foodie person, to be honest. It, it, it's not like matter to me, like, okay, I need to eat this one to do this. Or I crave for the specific food. I, I'm not. I try to eat healthy, as much as I can. I do cheat days as well, but uh, normally I keep it healthy. I'm vegetarian. I never eat meat in my life. So uh, is labor, like, is, is it get a lot more easier to be a more healthier than just fried food or something. But I try to be, be more healthy, like eating or healthy styles. Labor. Like is My trainer going to get really pissed off on me if I'm going to eat that.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. So the trainer helps
1: you with that, 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 that,
0: diet and nutrition stuff as well. That's that's really good. All right. So we got fitness, health, sleep regimen. This is how you stay on top of things and balance your teams, which are all across the the country, the world. The next thing we want to talk about is touchy subject touchy subject for a lot of founders, right? Personal finance or money. Like how do you think about running a company? I remember never forget the first time we met you were like, hey, I'm living in a tenderloin. I live in a very small, tiny apartment. I'm very frugal. I try to pay myself modestly. You know, now you've had some success. You've been able to do some things. But how how have you kept those core foundations of being frugal? And how do you balance that with like living a good life of being a founder? Because we're all doing this for some form of outcome, some form of financial success, or else we wouldn't really be doing it. So maybe talk a bit about that and, and, and your background and how you think about those things.
1: Oh, like... One quick take, I will say here, like, like this is my personal belief. It's not like anyone else believe, but it's like, when we say about like a work life balance, if you're founding a company, you're not going to get that. That's bullshit. You you never get it. And if you're trying to find that, then I'm like, Hey, you should not start a company that's, that's not for the startups. That's not for founders. That's not for entrepreneurs. I, I try to do what I. Like the most uh, in, in work life balance part, but then managing my personal finance, I like it's, it's not that the crazy things I keep everything automations like there is a bunch of software we use it to keep all the automations and keep everything, not pay too much attention on those part. I'm trying to keep away from a lot of distractions, trying to focus more on what is what is needed and what is required to do today and focusing on the that part then just like just struggle on the small bits and pieces every day and then just doing that part so like i keep a well balanced there as well but i'm like hey i, I love what i do and uh, i don't i don't feel like there's a i don't have a work like a balance or something i mean for, for founder yeah for sure you know Got you, got you. So you
0: know that that's an
1: interesting point. You know,
0: when you when you sign up for this life as a founder, work life balance it really doesn't exist. You gotta like, be all in on what you're trying to build, and a lot of these other things will take care of itself itself if you're doing that. If you had to take a step back, what what would you tell yourself now? You know, if five years ago, what would you tell yourself from what you know now about going through the past five years of raising money, going through ups and downs as a founder? Maybe what are the top two or three things you would tell yourself back then that you wish you would have known starting out?
1: I'm like, there's a lot of things I can tell myself like hey like you made those mistakes and I didn't do those things properly or or like something. I can I can personally say one thing. Maybe I could have. I'm like you improve yourself with the time and you learn it and grow it. Maybe I could have did that like long time ago to improve myself like really faster. I wasn't well communicator before, so I, I realized that, girl that communications is also one of the skills that you require. I'm like, hey, you know, codings, that's one of the part, you know, like rest of the things, is one of the part, but communications is one of the key skills to run the startup. I wasn't good at it, I'm trying, I'm still not good at it. I'm trying to be a good communicators, Keep things clear, set the clear agenda. I wasn't good at it, set up uh, wrong expectations. I wasn't good at it, but now I'm trying to be good at those things. And I realize offer like some hard lessons by running companies. So yeah, that's, uh, that's, these are the few things.
0: Communication is key. Maybe that transitions into the next uh, set of questions, just around your leadership and management style. Like you, you run a pretty large team of engineers, designers, marketers. I mean, we've talked about how you've been able to create such great high-performing SEO content to draw leads without having to actually pay money to get acquisition. How have you been able to do that so well with across so many different timelines? I mean, I meet so many founders that try to do it and they fail. It's a struggle. They can't hire the right people. They're not face-to-face. They struggle. You've tended to do it well, then it's probably one of your your advantages. So what are some insights you've learned there with, I know your, your background, you had a de- developer kind of boutique firm before getting the startups, but what kind of things would you you tell as aspirational founders or people that are trying to build teams globally? You know, What are some things that you've learned there?
1: So this is my personal belief that what I feel, whenever we do something, we need people to do it. I'm like, you can't do everything by yourself. You can try, you will go like not that further. You know, the, the wise person, I, somebody say that I read it somewhere is like, if you want to walk faster, walk alone. If you want to walk like far, then walk together. Gotcha. Uh, that's, that's, that's really important. So I, I, I always like look at what gap I need to fill it and what is important today to fill the gap and then how I can move faster with people. So for me, speed is really, really important. If, it's, if you're running like a software company and a SaaS company and these venture back company, then you kind of don't have a choice to walk slow or build slow or go to market slow, like kind of is, like don't have that choices as well. venture back company, they're looking for like a speed executions and then how you can like move into that as well. That is really, really important. But then at the same time, you need to look at it like, which is important and which is not important. You need to analyze every few months. That they're like, hey, I'm doing this one wrong or right. So analyzing things and making the right decision is is always important in that part.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. So the speed and, and, and really using people, I think I find myself sometimes trying to do things. And I always say, like, if I'm repetitively doing this over and over, that means I need to outsource it or I need to bring somebody else in to do that because I need to be focused on what's core to me Mm -hmm. as a founder. So I think that's really important that you have to be able to build these teams. So talking about building teams, you built out acquire.io. That's your first startup and you guys did well. You guys are still going. You decide now you're building out middleware. You know, this is your second time at this, but you're starting again at the baseline. You're going back to, YC and it. maybe talk a bit about that transition mentally, going, raising money, signing these big million dollar deals, growing your business, growing these teams to start all over talk about that mental shift that it takes for you to go back and kind of, you're not starting at, you know, first base, but you're kind of maybe still starting again. And what's that, what's that been like in the past, you know, year or so?
1: I'm like, one thing I would say about YC, I love it. I never been before. I tried before, like, almost five times. I got got interviewed, like, twice. I got rejected. I was really, really sad about it because I always wanted to be part of the YC because I, like, love the community. I I have many, many friends. I went to the YCs as well. I personally invested a bunch of YC companies. So I was, like, always hearing all these great, like, news about this YC and all that. Then I was like, okay, I... Like, yeah, I want to do it. Like why I could not do it. So that was the reason why I selected the YC. And after I went to the YC, now I'm going through YC. I'm loving it. Great people, amazing experience, amazing their documentations and the softwares and all the deals on the software, everything. Like, like I, can't, I can't say more than that. Starting all over again, I think I was missing a little bit of that part when I was doing Acquire because the company became really, really big. And then uh, all of that, like the day-to-day hustle that you do, it was, it was just become a totally changed company after that. And then I was like, okay, I, I was missing that. And then I started this one back again, and I'm loving it. All of the early go-to-market and product market fits and getting early customer onboardings and doing all the customer success and hiring the team, all of the things i like i love it i i, I am enjoying it a lot as well and i'm like yeah the the next venture rounds and the the money raising is going to be the next part as well but i don't think so. it's going to be hard because now i kind of know most of the people in the valley i raised like a bunch of money before so kind of like now know what i'm doing where i'm going before the like in the first time i didn't know that so i was just blindly going somewhere and now i know like where i'm you you know exactly who to talk to you yeah. you, you know all the,
0: the places maybe just to pinpoint a little bit of what yc you're in the current uh winter 2023 badge i know it's still early and it's besides yourself besides your company is there any team or successful founder that you're seeing in your batch that you're like oh man this person or they're going to really be successful and is is there any way now that you've done it a second time where you can even see early in yc it's like oh shoot these guys are going to you know they're gonna kill it or you know these ladies they got a great team or they got a great product insight is there any anyone specific you don't have to name names but like is there some kind of identification you see of like this is going to be the next like stripe or airbnb or dropbox or is it
1: too early i'm like let me tell you one thing every team is just when you meet and you feel and you will say like they're gonna kill it gotcha every single team even i haven't met like even single founder that is not like motivated to do their stuff. they're like hundred percent in and well motivated and it just, it's just' like literally, literally killing it. I haven't seen that. Like the people are not doing good or like I feel like, oh no, I don't know about this idea or I don't know about this company or I don't know about this founder. I haven't met. I met probably over hundred people, maybe like hundred hundred and fifty people, and everyone is is that motivated to build their startups. So it's too early to say like who's going to get success and who's not going to get success. It's going to be a lot of part will be like involved. But then how YC select these companies, I like, I admire them a lot. I admire like, like a lot of those things. So they, their core focus is not about the idea. It's about the founders. Yeah, uh, It's like founder fit is a core thing that how they selected. Uh, there's a bunch of companies doing like uh, the pivoting now, but then whenever they pivot, they move really fast, build really fast, get some customer attractions. And then they, that is just whole motto of YC. Uh, yes. That how fast you can build the product, how fast you can go in the market, and how fast you can raise the money. And then you just hire the team and just just get going. So okay. I, I love the community and I love the people that who are in the band. Got gotcha, you, got gotcha. you. And I know we got a couple of minutes, so I wanted to talk just a bit about middleware and
0: what you guys are building. Maybe, how would you define it? I know you've given me some breakdown of like you have this world of data and these platforms like Datadog and Splunk that are you know very expensive and really built for larger enterprise companies. Maybe start from that endpoint and that customer pain, and maybe walk me through what you guys are building today.
1: So we are real-time observability platforms that we bring all the metrics, log traces, events from all the different infrastructure to the applications, to running in uh, serverless or like any of those things, we collect all the data. The The biggest problem right now is just all these old companies, like like we can say, Datadog is like almost a decade year old as well. These old companies, they build on monolith architectures. They collect as much as data they can, and then they charge the customer as much as they can. I'm like, that's the, that's the pricing model, the, how, what, how we were data collecting before, like a decade ago, or how much data was generating from infrastructure or applications a decade ago, that's totally changed now. Why it changed? Because we produce so much more data. And like, if we produce so much more data, we can't use those old pricings and old architectures and old things anymore, because then it's not sustainable. Like you can't use it. So what we trying to do, we give a control to customer, like, hey, what you need to collect and what you need to process and what you need to store, you in your own destiny, not like someone else is your own destiny that, hey, this is we collect, this is you have to pay and that was it. Like that's what we don't do. So we give a control to customer what actually they needed. They just use that. If they don't need it, just just just, just remove it. And then uh, you just... Reduce the pricing with these enterprises by like five to ten x, like as a large contract. So that's a huge difference. Plus, you give like a lot more detail, visibility inside the like the platform and infrastructures. So that you go a lot more detail, like where the actually easy issues are, how you fix it. Because now uh, cloud natives and distributed apps and microservices debugging and observability for these platforms look totally different than what was a decade ago. And that's how this is observability changing right now, is cost, is visibilities, is what you collect and how uh, you collect and what you stores. There is a, like AI component of it as well, like how you, how you process data and how you, like how we actually do to observe and learn from the, the pattern that happen to your infrastructures and then like give a proper notification uh, to users. So bunch of those things, has to be changed we live in AI era now, and then that need to be applied on observability. Never been happened before. Somebody's tried it. I think they, they, they haven't done proper. So I think that's what is changing now, and it needs to be changed.
0: Got you. So that's it. The abert- observability platform of the future with middleware. Ram, thank you so much for coming on the Stretch for podcast, taking a bit out of your busy schedule, going running the company, and going through YC. Where can uh people who listen to this, other founders, maybe early stage teams that are building as well, how can they how can they reach out to you? How can they find out more about middleware?
1: Yeah, can reach out to me on my LinkedIn, send me message. I will try my best to accept most of the requests on LinkedIn. I try my best to reply. I'm like your first message is gonna be a marketing message or sales message, probably I'm not gonna do it. But if your first message is gonna be okay message, I will I will I'll I'll try my best to accept the request and reply to people. Uh, today I got almost like four different requests from uh, LinkedIn and I accepted them and I reply them and some people I give them my current calendar, calendar link. So like, Hey, let's book a 15 minute call and I can help wherever I can. And this is like an entrepreneur journey, man. Like we help each other and we grow together.
0: No, awesome. Awesome. Ram, man. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been great knowing you over these lot, these past few years. Excited about what you're doing. Congratulations on YC. Congratulations on Acquire. And I think congratulations on everything that you got going on. And thanks for coming on the show today, man. Thanks a lot.
1: Thank you, Matthew. A pleasure to have
0: Thanks Ram for coming on the interview series today. Ram is a good friend of mine. He's building his second company. He's done very well raising over 50 million in venture capital for his first and he's very aggressive with his second business idea. He wants to have a huge outcome. So I really learned a lot from Ram and I continue to learn a lot from him because I've never seen someone just like really do this the way he's done it, right? I mean, people tell you, you gotta have a co-founder, you gotta have all these things, but Ram has really been really world class with building teams at low cost to get products out, producing content. I mean, he's built almost all of his inbound comes from SEO and just like killing it with just getting content out there around his business and getting leads. So again, through things like he said, very clear, he said, I'm not the greatest communicator. So, you know, if you don't have the skills that are needed, you got to be good at other stuff. And I think he's been one of the best there. Want to shout out second sponsor of the podcast, this week, which is Modern Tax, which is a company where I'm a CEO. Modern tax in it is tax season. It's a very painful time for businesses and consumers gathering all your paperwork, producing all your paperwork you're needing to get taxes done. Modern tax, we don't do filing of taxes with our platform, but we do make the accessing of the data, the historical information easier for businesses and consumers, and we help financial institutions gather this data. We've also started our own newsletter, Modern Taxes, a business, business insights platform backed by real-time tax data and information on demand. And so whether you're a bank, a fintech, whether you work at a bank or a fintech, or you're providing any type of business service where you're trying to understand if this business has good standing, who the key officers are, key officers are, what's their revenue we will try to help you access that information. And we provide two products to business customers, both our verified product and our data product. So if you're interested in that, go to moderntax.com if you're interested in that newsletter, go to moderntax.io slash contact to find out more information. Additionally, things going on for me, I'm gonna be speaking at an event put on by the cap table coalition, which is an investor in modern tax, as well as an institution that helps More diverse groups of people get on Cap Tables. They're having a event celebrating Black History Month here in San Francisco at the headquarters of phoenix which is a payments company based here in SF. I'm going to be on a panel with Kiana Anderson, who is an investor at Cap Table Coalition, as well as Mercedes Bent, who's a partner at Lightspeed Ventures, and we're going to be having some interesting conversations. On February 10th at 5 p.m. So if you're interested, I'll make sure to link the registration in the show notes to this podcast. And again, thank you all for subscribing to the stretch4.substack.com newsletter and now podcast. I love your feedback where you can send it to Matt at stretch4.co. And if you're interested in sharing this newsletter, please shoot it out to anyone you know that might be of interest. Obviously it's being built for people that are founding and operating startups so that is really the slant or bend of type of people that we typically create produce content for but if any of this content is compelling to you definitely shoot it out there to people that uh, you think might benefit from it. Happy to have you as a subscriber. Hope you guys have had a great week or will have a great week as you're going to hear this on Monday and I also hope that the 49ers win at philadelphia so my super bowl picks of the 49ers and the bengals can come true last year it didn't this year i hope it does but that's all for me thanks again i'm out